You're listening to The Noble and Roosh Show, brought to you by Ball is Life and Dash Radio. Welcome back to another episode of The Noble and Roosh Show, hosted by Ball is Life. I'm your host, Roosh Williams, with my co-host, Zach Noble. And today we have a special guest, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. Howard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. Alive and well. You're, Making you're gonna, it, man. It's beautiful in, in L.A. Uh, you, you, you may see some quick guest appearances here by, uh, by my cat who uh, just wandered over briefly <laughs> on my desk here. She may wander in and out of the picture here. What We're only her, uh, her name is uh, she just jumped down. Selena. Selena. Um, OK. Yeah. Uh, so are, are we are we video or are we audio only? We we release audio only, but we have video for us to see. So gotcha. no one can All see right. you. You're good. <laughs> the, the beard is fine now. Um, good. So, Howard. The reason, uh, the triggering event, I guess, that brought you onto the show, that, yes. that prompted me to want to bring you on the show, is your piece on James Harden. And <clears throat> James Harden is one of my favorite things to discuss, one of those things that I know way more info about than I should. Um, and I've defended him over the years because of all the criticism, and it's a lot of the same type of criticism I saw in your article. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was, what prompted you to write that article? Like what, where were you coming from? Like what was, was there a moment? Was there a sequence of moments? Like, um, no, I'm just glad that the first question wasn't, why do you hate James Harden? Why are you thought about to tear it. Him down? <laughs> yeah. You could have started there on um, second thought, Howard. No, <laughs> actually let me do this. Cause I actually, I jotted down a bunch of notes, which I have off to the side here on my computer because Roosh, it wasn't just you hitting me that day. Of course, on Twitter, when that story came out a few weeks back, it was uh, felt like all of Houston, um, or at least everybody who counts himself as a James Harden fan. Um, and it was interesting because it was things like, you know, people perceived as somehow being anti-Harden. So real quick, um, I voted for Harden twice for MVP at the top of the ballot, the year he won and the year that Russ won. I actually had Harden first that year as well. Um, I've had him second, I think, three times twice behind Steph. I know that bothers Rockets fans. And once behind Giannis, I know that one bothers Rockets fans too. But still, uh, if I did not like James Harden, I or respect James Harden's game. I certainly would not have had him top of my ballot twice and second three times. Um, I praise Harden within that story as one of the greatest scorers of all time. And I think uh, one of the most feared players in the game. So clearly, again, um, not saying he's a bad player or that he's... May I interject? Flawed. You may interject. So... I think a lot of people hear that specifically with respect to Harden greatest scorer of all time. And it, it almost feels like a slight kind of like, you know, <laughs> because he's not instead of greatest, one of the greatest players of all time. Hey, listen, right. it, but if we're, if we were going to, to split that hair, it's actually a fair split because what separates the greatest players of all time is that there's been more to it than just the scoring. And sometimes that, so that might mean defense, that might mean a leadership, that might mean other aspects of the game. And we could talk about whether James Harden qualifies uh, enough in those other areas. But when we're talking about the all-time greats, you know, Jordan and LeBron, Magic, uh, Bird, uh, you know, on and on, um, there were other elements that made those, that, that, that earned those players the title of one of the all-time great players, as opposed to one of the all-time great scorers. Um, so if people want to take it as a slight, they can, but that to me smacks of you're looking for something to be offended by, which quick tangent, 
this is too much of what drives uh, Twitter and NBA fandom or probably sports fandom. Yep. I don't, I don't pay attention to other sports, so I don't know. I assume that the same thing afflicts fans in other sports too. Um, I don't understand this, this aspect of, of modern fandom and social media versions of it, which is that anything that can be taken as a slight will be taken as a slight. Anything that is not full on endorsement of your favorite player or your favorite team is somehow now suspect. And it's, it's always like people are looking for, the slights, the disses everywhere. It it's maddening. Um, so I'll say, Roosh, I'll, 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 I'll do respect to that point of view. I get it, but I'd stipulate that in the story for a reason, which is to acknowledge he's great. He's amazing. He's phenomenal. He's talented. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that the rest of this case that is, is here in this essay or that other, that scouts and coaches and execs around the league will make about him. It doesn't negate any of that. It doesn't, um, these things can coexist. You can be one of the all-time great scorers or even one of the all-time great players. And these other things, these critiques can still be true. And it doesn't mean that the author of the story or the scouts um, are anti-Harden. I'm we, with, we need to stop making it just pro or anti, uh, you know, uh, polarization. I'm with exactly. both of you. I mean, the negatives, I mean, will always outweigh the positives and people. I mean, that's the, the generation we're in, the offensive generation. We take offense to everything, and you're right. We try to dig something it's, up here and there. and drives me crazy. It's, the, the reason why, like, I respect you so much is because you're able to have calm, cool, collective conversations with, I mean, a lot of the guys you do it with on your podcast, you have great relationships with, so that kind of helps. That's the first off. But, like, you don't, I don't enter uh, conversations on Twitter when I know that other person is going to be not going to be open. It's kind of like having a political conversation with a family member or a friend, you know, it's to that extreme almost where if you're going to go deep with somebody, you got to know they're open or else you're just wasting your time and somebody's going to drill at home. But sure. uh, the point I wanted to say right off the bat is yes, there's levels to this and we nitpick the greatest players of all time. I mean, like number one and number two, LeBron and MJ, we nitpick those guys. So then when you go down the line where I have James Harden, that obviously it's up for debate. I have him 24th all time. So you think by the time we get to 24, we're going to be really nitpicking that guy. So there's so many levels to get to the top 15, top 10. And that's, that's the big issue with, these big debates is because it's like, who are you comparing this player to? Who are you nitpicking um, and weighing all these things up and down the, where I saw, I mean, I think you just kind of looked at Harden as a really big underachiever. And that's kind of the only major issue I took with this whole piece is like, I don't look at him as an underachiever. Uh, I really don't. I look at him as a guy that honestly, met expectations for a guy that I mean once once he got to the level he was at after a year or two in Houston and the expectations were basically set I look at him as a guy he, there's probably one or two instances that he's really underachieved other than that he's never really I think he's had really poor talent around him all around and then outside of that I think he had a coach that really stopped coaching um, when it came to the playoffs and stopped adjusting. And yes, I may be taking too much off James Harden. The one negative I have for James Harden is I think when it comes to game six and game seven at times, he decides to 
cool back, to chill back a little bit when he should be in attack mode. But I also say the other side is the coach kind of puts that in him and he thrives in the system and believes in MDA if you listen to his pressers, yada, yada, yada. So there's so many other th- options to go. But that that's kind of my biggest thing about the article is like it made him look like an underachiever in the grand scheme of things. Um, so nothing in the story suggested that he was an underachiever. The word underachiever or any version of it is not does not exist in that story. Um, the premise of the story, which got, I think, lost um, in whether it was the headline, whether it was my own tweet. I mean, sometimes I do a disservice to my own stories with my with my with my tweets because a tweet, you know, is going to be 280 characters or less. And it's not going to contain all the nuance that's in a whatever that was, 1800, 2000 word piece or whatever. So um, if you guys have followed my work for any length of time, you know that I, I tend to write with a fair amount of nuance. I'm not a hot take artist. I'm not a flamethrower. Um, I don't do clickbait. And which was another thing that I was I was accused of in writing that story, which is like patently ridiculous i don't think um, it was that it, it's, i want to make that clear I, the, don't the, don't listen to twitter twitter will make you sad people just want to troll <laughs> it is true i spent way too much time on it um Agreed. but it the point of the story was not he's an underachiever and actually rush asked a question earlier that i i rudely did not actually directly answer so i'll do it now which is so what what prompted the story what prompted the story at the time and this is um weeks ago so by the way just a quick distinction there's two recent hardened pieces i wrote one once the trade was made and i commented on the idea that that i think this makes him an even bigger villain um which is more of a perception thing like that doesn't mean i think he's a villain it's more about like the way that that fans and the whole league perceive him um but this is the first story this is the story before he was traded because in all the weeks that were leading up to the trade the thing that kept hitting me was people are focusing on is he going to get to brooklyn where he wants to go is he going to end up in philly with Embiid? is he going to end up in milwaukee with Giannis? is he somehow going to end up in portland with dame which always struck me as bizarre um miami like all these different options i kept thinking i don't know i don't know if it matters where he's going i think what matters is what he's going to do when he gets there And that was the main premise. And I wrote more or less those words very high up in the story, which is it's not about where he goes. You know, yes, of course, like we're, you know, it's, it's, it's NBA trade rumor season. Like, of course, like, of course we're all going to like, you know, speculate to death and talk about where he'd fit best and you know, how he gets there and what the right trade package should be and all that stuff. But I was trying to take a step back from that and say, listen, we can, we can all, um, you know, uh, sit here and, and, and get all frothy about where he could land. I think it matters more what he'll do once he gets there, what that new partnership is with two stars in Brooklyn or, you know, Embiid in Philly or somebody like, what's he going to do? And is there an, and, and is there a, a is there a, a next step in evolution for him? Because I've been covering this league. This is my 24th season. I started off covering Shaq and Kobe in 1997 and, and the, their entire run together after that. And um, and I've seen a lot of stars come and go of various shapes and sizes. And I think there are certain truths that you learn over time covering this league. And one of them is that a lot of players come in, especially the best of the best, with all the highest expectations for themselves and a whole set of goals that are mostly individually driven. And they all talk championship from day one, but they want to do it their way. They, well, yeah, I want to win a championship. But by the way, I want to, I want to score 30 points a game. And I always thought Allen Iverson, you talk about flawed stars. And by the way, you know, guy, hot button issues, guys whose name you cannot invoke without just enraging the world. Top of the list. Um, I was never a big Iverson guy. Now, part of that was that there was an Iverson Kobe thing and I was covering Kobe every day and I could see how much better Kobe was than Iverson. But a lot of people 
back then, believe it or not, thought Iverson was the better player. And also he was the more popular one by far for a bunch of other reasons. Um, but Iverson had some glaring flaws that people still don't like talking about. And so, but players over time, some of them will evolve, adapt, curtail, channel their talent differently for team goals, and some will not. And when I thought about Harden, and listen, I sat down with him for a story that uh, I did for Bleach Report in September of 2019. And it was right after he turned 30. And I asked him about turning 30 and what that meant and what 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 that what you know what thoughts he had now it's like that's that's a big moment that's you know 30 is big for all of us but especially if you're a, a pro athlete and you know that your your um your time as an elite player there's a clock and it's always ticking and when you get to 30 that's when you really start to have to think about it and so we had a really interesting discussion that day at which i really enjoyed and as he got to 31 and having had last season end the way it did and the Russ partnership and the way it did, I just kept thinking about the last guys I saw get to their 30s and change. And that was Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett. So the story I wrote about Harden that that oddly enraged so many people who are Rockets fans or Harden fans was really about trying to look at Harden through the prism of these three other stars who came together at the right time, who had gotten to their early 30s, and who had done everything individually and, and achieved everything individually that satisfied them, but they didn't have the championship. And so the three of them, they come together, not out of choice. Back then, nobody was, you know, choosing to go play with other stars. They just, that's just the way it happened. Danny Ainge did that. They didn't. And they, they land in Boston and Doc Rivers takes them on the duck boat tour. And he talks about Ubuntu and, and then they decide to practice that they decide we're going to figure this out. And Ray Allen takes a big step back and Paul Pierce takes a big step back and Garnett takes a big step back and they win a championship and they have a phenomenal year. And maybe that team could have won two or three, if not for Garnett's knee injury. Um, so that to me was, to, to me, it's a great lesson about um, pro sports, about athletes, about, um, you know, life period. These are guys who decided it was time to recalibrate for bigger goals and it worked. And I kept thinking about that. So I got Ray Allen on the phone and talked to Ray about what it was like to go through that because in the end, it just sounds like this wonderful fairy tale. Everybody sacrificed and they won a championship. Yay. Yay, Ubuntu. Um, but, and, and, and that's all true and that's real. And, and, it, I, and I don't mean to, to, to mock it, but, it, but yeah, there's a certain aspect of it that almost becomes oversimplified and over-romanticized. The fact is it was hard. It was hard for Ray Allen to give up all those shots and give up all that ball control because he'd been running a ton of screen roll in Seattle and had a lot more uh, uh, authority over the offense and now had to give it up. It was hard for Paul Pierce. It was hard for Kevin Garnett. Um, so anyway, I kept thinking about them, and I thought if there's an application of that to where James Harden is in his career as he tries to find the next place and the next partnership, I think it'd be interesting to talk to Ray about that. So I did. Ray and I had a great conversation. I wrote the piece. And it was partly about Ray and, and the Celtics. It was partly about whether that applies to, to Harden. And then, yes, it gets into some of the modern-day critiques of Harden, which are not just my critiques, but our scouts, execs, coaches around the league. Um, I, didn't, I didn't raise any issues in that story that, that haven't been raised, obviously, elsewhere millions of times, and that aren't discussed, by the way, among people much smarter about the game than I am in this league all the time. So um, there's the long-winded answer to your question, Roosh. Well, that was really, really interesting. I appreciate you breaking that, breaking that down. Um, so I'm going to try to address as much as what I, what I can remember. Um, and I, you know, I come from rockets fans, but I like to think that 
I, I do as good of a job as can be done as far as lifting the bias goes and just looking at it objectively. So first and foremost, um, I'm okay with Harden losing the MVP. You mentioned you voted for him the year that he won it and the year that Russ won it. I'm okay with him losing to Giannis and losing to Steph earlier, I think 2015, when the Rockets were the two seed, because it's always typically gone to the best player on the best team, right? And in both of those years that he lost it to Giannis and Steph, that's, that's what it was. The thing that irks Rockets fans that drives them nuts and, you know, start undermining the other ones is the fact that Russ won it over him because that should never have happened. And you could even argue. I that agree. Har- yeah, <laughs> I agree. It should have happened. I respect you- to that. You could even argue that Harden didn't deserve it. Maybe like someone like Kawhi on like a two seed. Eh, I'd still go Harden. But so Rockets fans are salty about that. Uh, the other thing is, at least from my perspective, and the reason I chose to respond to your article, when I did qualify, I said, I respect you a lot. I, I hope I didn't come at you like, you know, <laughs> sometimes I, I can come at people on Twitter. But, <laughs> but, but you say that his way doesn't work. And I think what irks Rockets fans because you're right, people have this discussion throughout the league at levels much higher than any, any of us three. But the problem is, you can tell who watches him night in and night out, and you can tell who does not. For example, you call him the greatest scorer ever. Um, you focus on the scoring, and a lot of people focus on the scoring and the isolation because that's, like that's, that's what the narrative is, and that's how the conversation is driven. But he is, an, he is the offense. And I think that it's this weird little dance we have to do when we discuss it because your article is, is, like you said, primarily about sacrificing and decreasing usage rate and things of that nature. And Harden's has been through the roof. But Harden's story is so, it's so weird because it's almost in reverse, right? People say he hasn't changed his game. He has drastically. From when he first came to Houston, he played differently. He has, instead of like going ISO, 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 and then opening up to team ball, he's done the reverse. And that's because when Dan Tony came in 2016, uh, you know, they did that one year where Harden was the point guard and he had 29 points, 11 assists. That's the year that Russ won it. And then after that, Mike D'Antoni unleashed him and turned him into like a basketball terminator. You know, he's got the same, he's got like four moves that he goes to. You can't just stop any of them. Based, yeah. yeah. You can't stop any of them. And that's just like, that's what he does. But it turned out that Houston started winning when he did that. And the other thing is that, you know, you talk about Ray Allen, all this stuff where guys have to sacrifice. But I think that what pisses Rockets fans off is look at his teams. (laughs) Who is he supposed to defer to? The fact is if he deferred to most, if he decreased his usage rate in most of those scenarios, the team would not have been as good. And the only reason that the team is, you know, does as well as it did in the, in the postseason, there were a four seed or higher under Mike D'Antoni. There were three, one, four, four in the four years that Mike D'Antoni was there. And the reason is because Harden shores up all the deficiencies with how good he is. But of course, as we all know, when you get to the playoffs, he can't because um, he's not Superman. And I don't think, you know, there is no one other than LeBron James that, that does, that can carry nobodies all the way. I don't think anyone's been able to carry them further than Harden as well, consistently. He can't. In the right. And he, but he, he can't. I'm saying, but he can get you to the second round. He can get you to the Western Conference the finals. finals. You know, and then he'll lose to a totally stacked team. Like it's it's like he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't, right? If he goes all out and saves the team and you know puts up all these numbers, they win, and then he gets all the criticism. If he doesn't, they lose to begin with. Um, but he's such a special player that like he can do that. Now, all time, no, he's not one of the all time greats because whether you like the way that this is evaluated or not, you need the hardware. Period. Right? You need championships to to crack that top ten. You need at least one, probably two. Um, and to crack the top 20, you know, like, so I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, James Harden is the best ever. None of that. But the standard he's held to, 
no one else is held to that standard because no one else is as good as him. And at the same time, Wait. no one, no, no one else has been dealt such a weak hand. And, and we're going to see, and we've already seen the analysts say, you know, oh my God, Harden, when Harden passes like this, as he's done in the last three games in Brooklyn, he's such a good version of Harden. And Rockets fans are sitting there saying he's been doing this for 82 games. You guys just selectively chose which games you evaluated. Um, and to your point about usage rate, I think through these three games with Brooklyn, he's at 29%, which is by far the lowest he's been in years. Um, He's already deferring. He took 14 shots in a double overtime game. The only reason in the first two games, he took 18 and 25 with Kyrie out. So I think he's showing he's willing to do it. I I think the criticisms of him that are valid are off ball. He doesn't do enough. He's gotten to a point where he's just lazy off the ball, useless off the ball almost. Um, And defensively, he's got the same issues. He can be good when he's engaged. He can be good, but he just kind of picks and chooses when he wants to move his feet on defense. And sometimes it results in breakdowns. Um, and then the last one is like Zach said, you know, sometimes when the game's on the line, he'll take the step back instead of going and getting a different shot that his team might need. And those are all valid criticisms. But when we talk about, is he willing to sacrifice James Harden's way doesn't work. I, I just can't get off thinking it worked. His way didn't rob them of, of the Western conference finals to the finals, his way, uh, Chris Paul's hamstring is what robbed them. And we can have that discussion a million ways, but had they done that, his whole legacy is different. So why, you know, I, I just don't understand why his way doesn't work. I think the framing well, is what pisses Rockets fans off. And you're, and you're making a leap rush that some people um, made on Twitter that I don't think again, is not an evidence in, in what I wrote in the story. Um, I was not buying into rings culture. I was not saying that he's um, a, say fail, a, a failure or a, or, or a fatally flawed player because he hasn't won championships. Um, what I, uh, you know, and I didn't, I didn't even say like, it wasn't even about the idea, just the idea that his way doesn't work. It's that there is an, ex, an, an excessiveness to it or an extreme to it that, as I wrote in an earlier story last summer, um, no one with, a, you know, and again, I, and I, I acknowledge, like I say it and I say it again in this story, it's reductive to say that his hyperdominance has held the rockets back. That's a line that I wrote. Um, yeah. And I, I also stipulated, by the way, now looking at my story, they might the well Chris have won Paul. a title. I wrote yeah, I this. Saw. They might I well saw. have won a title in 2018. But, 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 that, but that's my question, but, Howard, is, they, is why does that change your, your ultimate evaluation of because <laughs> because of Because of a couple of different things. One, let's quickly dismiss the Chris Paul thing for a second or just address it for a second. The comeback from the Warriors side, as you know, immediately is, you know what, Iguodala was hurt too, and he was really important to them, and no, Iguodala is not the same, same to them as Chris Paul is to the Rockets. However, if we're going to start... Mute? If we're going to start undoing injuries, Luke we got to undo Mute? all the injuries. We're going to undo all the injuries? I mean, it just... Well, no. The, I no mean, the, on, the, 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 don't you think it's objective, though, to say that Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson versus... It's like chess. Yeah. When you lose your queen, that's a lot worse than losing your bishop, right? Um. Yes, but I'm just saying if we're going to start undoing injuries, then you undo all the injuries. Like you can't, we can't just pick one of them to undo. Like I don't think the hypotheticals work that way. They can, I guess. We can. I'm not saying the Rockets are the 2018 champions. I'm just refuting the the reasoning. uh, You say that all the time. Let's let's be honest. I'll say they're the champions. (laughs) They lost, and they lost, and it is what it is. You got to stay firm on that one, man. You got to deal with it. 
Um, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, you guys know, I'm sure you've read, I'm sure you have raged at Zach Lowe did an incredible deconstruction of, of James Harden's entire postseason legacy and all the places where he's fallen short, the big games that came when they were already down three, one or three Oh, or something, or, you know, had, had, had the big outbursts at a time when a series was probably already beyond them. <laughs> and then in the games that are, were the most pivotal ones more often than not, that's when he has come up short. And so when I talk about whether James Harden's style and again, there's a, there's a whole other discussion here, a whole strand that, that Rushu raised about whether this is about Harden or whether this is about D'Antoni. I think it's probably about both of them, but we can address that in, a, you know, in another segment a, you, a couple minutes you, from you now. You mentioned it in the article. You say, that, yeah. Yeah. You, you, say, you said that people, you know, it, it's supposed to be the, per, the player that adapts. Instead, it was the coach. You said something to that extent. I didn't say that it's supposed to be. I did say that D'Antoni adapted to him. Because um, Mike D'Antoni... So I guess we'll go there right now. Mike D'Antoni in Phoenix was all about the ball finds energy. Um, it was, and granted, Nash had the ball in his hands a lot, but Nash's probing and dribbling was always towards somebody else shooting. As we know, Nash won MVP, like averaging like 15 points a game. He was not a big shooter, but Mike would always talk about the ball finds energy, the ball finds energy. I covered Mike then here in New York, where he and Carmelo, of course, were at loggerheads. And it's the reason that Mike didn't last here, because Mike still was about the ball finds energy, wanted the ball to move even wanted to put the ball in Carmelo's hands more and have Carmelo play more of a LeBron role where he would facilitate, but Carmelo didn't want to do that. Um, but Mike, for most of his career that I knew him in Phoenix and New York was about ball movement, player movement, um, a, a more fluid style of basketball, something that's more akin to what the Spurs play or what the Warriors now play under Steve Kerr. And when Mike went to Houston and then especially once they got Chris Paul, he went all in on iso ball. Mike was never about iso ball. Uh, I, I wrote a piece on this a few years ago. I don't know if you guys saw that one where I just you know wrote about what would Mike D'Antoni of like 2008 or 2005 or whatever from the Suns say about Mike D'Antoni in you know 2018 with the Rockets. Like, like that would be a really funny conversation because I don't think one would recognize the other. So um, the mustache ask- notwithstanding. Do you think that version, the two dollars? You think the Rockets version of D'Antoni is a lot because of Maury? Because um, if you listen to every press conference Mike ever had, basically, like when they, whenever they lost a big game, it was always about the shots didn't fall. We played great, just the shots didn't fall, and it was the same thing over and over. And it was just getting so annoying and repetitious. Not we could have done this, we could have adjusted differently, and t- talked about little structural differences and plays and it's what coaches say (laughs) it's just you know what it it, it just occurred to me that and because howard you might not believe this but i actually was very critical of the offense what it turned into because it kind of zapped any like feeling out of it it just turned it into like machinery and there were times which is why harden failed in the postseason late in games is because they you know they did not feel out the type of shot they needed when they needed it they just kept doing the same thing over and over Yes. So this feeds into let's let's leave the the D'Antoni discussion behind because I think real quick, uh, if I were to um, speculate on or just draw some conclusions about what I think Mike did in Houston and why it was because he saw a way to win, whether that's influenced by Daryl, whether it's just catering to Harden, whether it's Mike just saying, you know, what's the best way we have to win? So screw it. Screw ball finds energy, screw ball movement. I'm just going to like go. ISO. whatever it was, it was, you know, coaches at the end of the day, they want to win every freaking game. And so now maybe he let that get the better of it. Maybe the short term urge to, to win and ride a certain formula overwhelmed his other basketball sensibilities. But I think his core sensibilities were more about ball and player movement. Um, my own bias on this. And like, I don't, I'll 
I don't need to say it to you guys, but I don't have team biases, player biases, whatever. I don't care. I don't care about outcomes. I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't make me sad. Where I do have some biases about what I think is is aesthetic basketball or what I enjoy watching. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the Warriors. I enjoy, like, I enjoy that style of basketball. I enjoy what the Spurs, when the Spurs picked apart the heat in the finals the one year because they were just passing them to death. That to me is more enjoyable. It's better basketball. It also keeps guys involved. And so my bias in this comes from several years of covering Mike D'Antoni and several years of covering mm-hmm. Phil Jackson, who were in a much different system, of course, the triangle when I was covering the Lakers. But in both cases, they were both preaching a certain egalitarianism in the offense that the ball moves and everybody touches it. Everybody feels a part of it. It's not just one guy isolating. And yeah, eventually it's pound the ball into Shaq or eventually it's, yeah, go, you know, Kobe's going to go isolate at the top or Michael Jordan was going to go isolate, but that's, that's in crunch time. The majority of the game is about ball movement and about everybody being involved and five guys on a string. And I buy that. I buy that philosophically. So, and I've had this debate with Daryl Morey when I was writing some of these stories over the last couple of years, we've had this debate because Daryl's, you know, he's like, uh, you know, like he, I think he thinks I'm over romanticizing the game um, and that you can win other ways. And he's right, but I believe that's a better brand of basketball. So where does that come into play when it comes to judging whether Harden's way works or not? The postseason failures speak to that on some level. Now, I know there are factors. Chris Paul's injury. The Warriors are a super team. Those things are all true and valid. But there's also a fact of Harden not coming up in big moments at times. And the fact that, as I've written about and others wrote about, and I found a couple things out of The Athletic recently, where it was guys talking about becoming too predictable. And so you can say it's it's the the fault of having a substandard supporting cast. I'm going to say that supporting cast is better if guys are involved and confident and feeling good about themselves and the star on a team, and I've seen this in every different version of this, the star on a team can make or break how well a, 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 a role player, a limited role player can play. Steve Novak was nothing with the Knicks and nothing in the league period. And then when, when Lynn sanity took off, one of the biggest beneficiaries in those few weeks was Steve Novak, who suddenly became a folk hero in New York because Jeremy Lynn kept finding him. And so, and and Jeremy Lin's not a superstar. He was for three weeks, right? But it the the star of a team and the guy who has the ball in his hands and who has the ability to create and make plays can make or break how we view those role players. So those Rockets teams did not suck, by the way. Those those supporting casts that you guys have had were not bad. And he did have Russ for a season, and he did have Chris Paul for two years, and he did have Dwight for all of his flaws. So I'm going to look at the whole body of work and say, yes, at some point, some part of this maybe because of an over-reliance, whether by D'Antoni's design or Maury's design or by Harden's impulses, there is an an over-reliance that I think ultimately can be counterproductive, whether it's because he gets fatigued, whether it's because other guys are just not involved enough, whatever it may be, they have run up against those walls. And again, like as I could cite a couple of things out of The Athletic where Capella talked about this too, it's a real thing. And it's not just me saying that. That is, you know, again, scouts, coaches, execs around the league. These are the things people talk about when they discuss what James Harden's ultimate, um, you know, accomplishments have been or could be. I really think when I when we say Harden's had a lack there of talent, we're comparing him against other top five, top seven players. Like literally everybody outside of Anthony Davis has had better talent for their career. LeBron. Kawhi, Steph Curry, I mean, go down the list. I mean, Kevin Durant by far. I mean, Giannis even. Like, better talent and better talent that's fit. Um, 
Chris Paul, I mean, his, his talent he's had has been decent, but it just didn't fit either. I like, there's literally, I re- would go on record and say there's 15 to 30 players that year. I'd rather have for James Harden than Chris Paul. Uh, but with that said, making players worse around him, I truly think James Harden elevates more players than. Oh, and I didn't ever said that he made anybody worse. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm you said I'm he takes that, away from players, right? I'm saying, he, I'm, say, I'm saying to the extent that you, if, if so, I was fate, I was playing of what Roosh said about the, the yep. supporting cast. I don't think the supporting cast have been that bad. Um, I think they've been pretty good. And I'm saying that the person who has the ball in their hands the most has a lot uh, to do with whether or not we see, perceive those guys as being great and productive or whether we see them as being dragging down that star. And the same thing happened with uh, Russ in OKC, where all of a sudden the year he was MVP, all of a sudden everybody's saying, oh, his supporting cast is trash. Those guys weren't trash either. Like he actually had I do my, part, of, part of my case for Harden that year was, are you telling me that Harden's supporting cast was but was leaps and bounds better than than russ's i thought he's, like, he's elevated like think about click he does elevate he does soccer. elevate yeah. but if you have the if you shoot as much as he shoots and and command the ball as much as he does um i think that eventually has a cost especially in the playoffs when defenses are can load up okay so howard I don't really disagree with anything you said. I think everything you say is valid. Like I said earlier, man, the way he plays, the way he chooses to play off the ball, I think that does hurt other people. I think his mentality has been, it's kind of like when, I don't know if you've ever played pickup basketball or whatever, but it's kind of that feeling when, you know, someone feels like, you know, when, when things aren't working, you pass the ball to someone reluctantly, almost like go do something with it. I think that's been Harden's mentality. You know, like he'll pass the ball, like, all right, show me what you got. Cause I, I can drop 40. What can you do here? You know, I'll stand over here. Y'all do your thing. And if you need me, give me the ball. Um, And that's kind of the vibe you get. Cause you know, only really recently under Silas, would I see him kind of run an action and then spring to get open. And you're probably going to see him do it in Brooklyn because, you know, I'm sure he's eager to, to prove these types of criticisms wrong, but he didn't do that in Houston. What I would ask you is um, which one of those teams, because we're talking about supporting cast. I don't think they're bad supporting cast. I don't think they're championship supporting cast, except for the one, even the one that that was on track to win a championship. I don't think on paper, I don't think people saw that. I know for a fact, no one saw that prior to the season and picked the Rockets to win it all. A lot of people were, were questioning if the fit would even work between Harden and CP, let alone the rest of the roster. And I don't think people realized until it played out how good that team was on defense. But w- which one of those Harden teams underachieved uh, objectively and why? Like, let's talk about the supporting cast. I'm interested to hear because I think they all kind of flamed out where they should have flamed out, you know, with the exception of uh, the, the two exceptions would be one in Harden's favor. They should not have made the 2015 Western Conference Finals. That was quite a, an improbable run, in my opinion. Like Dwight Howard had been hurt half that year. He was not the same Dwight Howard. He played well in the playoffs and then he got hurt against the Warriors. Um, and then I think, I think the Rockets rightfully flamed out in the second round against the Spurs in 2017. I think the Spurs were the better team. And I also think if Kawhi did not land on Zaza's foot, that the Spurs might have shocked the Warriors. But, um, yeah. but regardless, that's another great what if. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is. But, but, but there's also the, the sample size issue, right? That was game one, the other one, you know, but regardless. So, um, so I think they rightfully flamed out in the second round against the Spurs. I think how it happened was ugly, right? The game six, like flame out, um, the, the Ginobili block. Like I, I'm with you on all that. But like I said, which teams underperformed? So it's an interesting question because it, uh, it gets at something that I have not actually asserted. <laughs> um, I haven't actually asserted that 
uh, he should have won a championship or that he, nece- that, he, that he necessarily should have made the finals. Um, my critique is, is, uh, is, 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 a, is a broader one. It's an observation. And it's not like I didn't if I had written an entire piece, 2000 words that were uh, indicting James Harden for not having won a championship or for not having made the finals. Um, or if I had called him a failure, or if I had said that he was fatally flawed, then I'd say if you, if the the comeback would be, well, then what year should he have made it? I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not like, I'm I'm not not, saying you are, I'm just saying that like, what, even if he had played differently, if he had, if he had embraced this style that, you know, you're saying, I'm just trying to get to the point. I don't know. I like if he had embraced a different style, I don't know. Like the partnership with the, so let's get to this. The partnership with Chris Paul ended prematurely. Um, Absolutely. The partnership with, with Russ ended even quicker. And I, as I noted, I think in the story, like his, his usage rate increased when he got the best players he's ever played with. So um, now, if he had gone for more balance, if he had deferred more, if he would, were willing to play off the ball more and actually move when he's off the ball, which you yourself acknowledge is, a, is a somewhat of an issue, who knows what else you're capable of at that point? Because the dynamism of an offense where you have two elite creators and scorers um, you know, more, you know, Rusk elite creator and score Chris Paul elite creator. And, you know, could be more of a scorer than he's ever been in his career. He's chosen not to be, it's kind of a little bit of the Steve Nash thing where he's, he's, he's more, he's going to control the offense, but he's not consumed with shooting. Um, Russ is consumed with shooting. Um, but, but Harden wanted both those guys and they both ended prematurely. And again, Harden's usage only increased. And so I don't know if there's a, if there's a, a, a different version of, of this or if there's a different timeline in the universe where he gave up more and because of that, it empowered Russ more, empowered Chris Paul more and empowered you know, Eric Gordon or whoever. And the rest of the, the, the lineup then comes more to life and they're better than the sum of their parts. And by the way, we've seen that before at times in this league too. Sometimes, and it doesn't happen often, but it, sometimes you get the better than the sum of their parts teams that make a, a deeper run than you would expect them to because everyone's involved and it's the all for one thing. Again, I'm starting to talk fairy tale happy talk stuff, but there's a real element to it. And there's, there's, there's a lot about chemistry in this league, which we talk about all the time and culture, which we talk about all the time that are just undefinable. There's no metrics. There's no, there's no uh, set formula. There's sometimes it's just the right guys got together at the right time, played a certain way. The coach pushed the right button guys clicked. Like it's weird that way. And part of this, you know, if someone wants to accuse me of, of, of magical thinking, like if Harden had just done these other things, they all magically would have been better and they would have like gone to the final. Maybe, I don't know. Like I, I, I just, I think there was a better way. Um, not just aesthetically, but for the, the, the feeling of camaraderie and the feeling of, of, of everybody being involved that I've talked about, whether, whether it was the Laker teams that I covered, whether it's because of the way the triangle offense tries to distribute the wealth, whether it's the way that Mike D'Antoni's offense tried to distribute the wealth back in Phoenix. I think there is value to that. And I think that the, the end result of that value can't be measured or predicted. And so I don't know if there was a different po- possible outcome. Um, and I'm not saying there definitely would have been. And to get back to the premise of the story that got, this whole thing going a couple of weeks ago, it was really about what ifs. Like if he goes somewhere else, will he play a little differently? Not because he absolutely has to, and not because the way he's playing made him somehow a failure in Houston, but just because it might be required. And especially if he's joining Katie and, and Kyrie. So real quick, because we're taping this on Wednesday or Thursday and last night, Wednesday night was Kyrie's uh, debut with those two. We finally saw the big three together. Harden only took 14 shots. Kyrie took 28 after being out for two weeks. 
that was really promising. A lot of people were coming at this with the hot takes today of like, oh, is Harden going to be happy doing it? I said, no, that guys, it's glass half full. This is a good sign. Like he was the distributor. Like, I don't know, but it's one game. Is he going to do that every night? I don't know. If they keep losing that way, will he be okay with it? I bet he won't. Um, and that's <laughs> so, not just, and that's about all stars, by the way. All stars are willing to sacrifice up until they start losing and then definitely. they lose faith. And, so, and so you said, but you said it right there. You said it right there. Is he willing to do this every night? I don't know. I think you'll see, because based on having watched him, he's all about trust. And I think I agree with you that the Chris Paul relationship ended way too prematurely. A lot of people do forget Chris Paul had, a one, I think, the worst season of his career that, that year because he was hurt and he was playing hurt. And also because they did not embrace his style of basketball. The, the whole reason the Rockets were so lethal the year before is because Chris Paul-led bench units were incredible and they were not the subsequent year because Chris Paul had lost a step and he was playing hurt. He couldn't be like the ISO God, point God. Um, and the Rockets on that diet. Yeah, he, he wasn't. And the Rockets didn't adapt to him. And then that was one of the other <laughs> reasons, KCB. by the way. A lot of Rockets fans are happy with that trade, or they, they justify <laughs> the trade because they say, well, Chris Paul had lost a step. And I think people forget how competitive Chris Paul is, and he knew he lost a step, and everyone should have known he was coming by the back way, with the way, was a better player at the moment of that trade than Russell Westbrook. Absolutely, yeah. And no, I hated the trade from the beginning, and I, you know, I think everyone knew it was the begin- beginning of the end. And... Uh, that's not to say like, I'm not defending Harden the GM. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not defending Harden the GM. He made some bad decisions. Um, and also I was going to say, like I said, man, he, Oh, this is what I was saying. So again, with Chris Paul, he lost the trust that second year because I'm saying like, that's, that's his game. He'll go, he'll go boom, boom, ISO score, give you the ball and say, all right, go do something with it. And I think he lost his trust in Chris Paul to be the guy that could get the ball and say, all right, I'll go do something with it. And so he wanted him out. Totally wrong. And I've tweeted this multiple times that I will never forgive, I will never forgive James Harden for forcing that trade through. I think it, like I said, was the beginning of the end. And Russell Westbrook came through and he was that guy in terms of scoring, but the Rockets had to trade Clint Capella in order to open that up and sacrifice, you know, obviously their size. And Westbrook can't shoot. So once he got a little banged up before the bubble or in the bubble before the playoffs, he was just not really any good to be honest um but with all that said in brooklyn he's got kevin durant right he's got kyrie irving and i think he really trusts those guys enough to just give them the ball and say go do your thing now if they start losing of course no one's happy when you're losing totally agree there and i do agree i'm not like a just for clarity i'm not mr vorp over here right i i, <laughs> I believe in chemistry like if you've ever played basketball at any you know open gym level you know that sometimes teams that shouldn't beat other teams do because you just kind of catch lightning in a bottle, you catch fire, and there's this like weird, unquantifiable thing. And that's yes. one of my biggest problems so with speaking analytics. Speaking of so, VORP, I mean, that's part of the reason why <laughs> I think they flamed out at times because they relied too much on the analytics and Mike D'Antoni's system versus well, under Kevin McHale, he had a lot more feel, and I think he performed better at times in the playoffs. And that's but, why they made that comeback in game six against the Clippers. That was exa- solely yeah, off exactly. field. And he, he needed a coach that enabled him and pushed him to, if your three-pointer step back's not falling, if you're getting doubled and you're forcing chucking shots up, yeah, late go in get the game, that mid-range. Drive it in, go get fouled, or go get that mid-range. But moving on to Brooklyn now. Sure. I think Kyrie Irving's got to be Ray Allen in this. And you mentioned it in your piece. 
you're I, I'm pretty sure you mentioned in this year piece, or I could just be imagining this that you're not so sure he can be that guy. And I think that's the big question mark too. I'm glad you mentioned half full with Kyrie Irving coming out and throwing up all these shots and James Harden being more passive. I looked at it honestly. Yeah, sure. It's a great step that James can play these different ways, but it's also this team in order to reach their ultimate success. I know it was game one with all of them. I'm not going to overreact, but I don't think Kyrie Irving can be the focal point of this offense. I think he's got to be that third wheel. I think he's got to be that more off ball cutting type that Clay Thompson, that Ray Allen, that, that guy in this system. I mean, Harden and Durant gelled. They were in sync immediately. They stepped foot on the court. Pin downs to Joe Harris in the corner with Harden. Uh, that was incredible the first couple of games. I mean, that that duo, that pairing, I mean, as a basketball perspective is, I think, flawless. I mean, but Kevin Durant fits with anybody and everybody, okay? Let's not get that yes. twisted. I mean, you put Kevin Durant with – with anybody in this world, that, that team's going to be amazing. I mean, as long as he's got talent around him and Harden will raise that floor. It's Kyrie Irving. Can he fit into this, and will the talent exceed the fit? I think it will. How about you? Yeah, and it's important to note that, um, just to one quick last reference to my story, I didn't. the story wasn't about James Harden can't uh, evolve. The story was, will he evolve? It was it was a question, not a not a statement, and and it's an open ended one. And um, there were voices in that story, you know, anonymous executives I spoke to who were very skeptical that he would evolve. I did not myself make any particular judgment within that story about. Okay. Uh, well, they would. I reported that other people were skeptical. Um, you are such a journalist. <laughs> I, I <laughs> guilt, guilt guilty as charged. I mean. Um, I, I don't have a hot take on this. Like, I honestly don't. Like, I, you know, if I were to answer my own question, is James Harden capable of evolving, willing to evolve? If anybody asked me that, and this happens at times because I do a lot of radio interviews, I would say, I don't know. I'll be curious to see. And it's, and it's the same thing with these three guys. Well, can it work with these three guys? I don't know. We'll see. Like, I don't, I don't have a hot take on them, you know, winning the championship or, or bursting into flames. Both things are possible. Um, and, Guys can surprise you. Uh, Paul Pierce, to refer back to the, the Celtics again, Paul Pierce was viewed as kind of a knucklehead up until the big three came together in Boston. He was viewed as a selfish player. He was viewed as a numbers guy. He was viewed as a guy who, who was trying to do too much and um, was viewed as an incredible talent, but not a great player. And Paul Pierce completely changed his image that year. By, by sacrificing and then becoming finals MVP. And the Paul Pierce that we think of for the latter half of his career is a completely different guy than the way he was perceived and even carried himself in the first half of his career. Guys are capable of, of change. Everybody is capable of changing. Um, so as a reporter who's covered this league for a long time, I, I don't feel like I'm in the business of trying to decide this guy is this one thing and that's all he can ever be. Um, I, I'm in the business of... of, of just being interested in, in the human element of seeing when guys will evolve, will change, will adapt and guy, and guys that won't. And again, I cited it in the story, Alan Iverson refused to ever adapt. And I think it, it contributed to uh, his, his, him retiring earlier than, than he should have had to from, from the league. I saw Steve Francis burn out. I saw Stefan Marbury play himself right out of the league. Some guys are, are, are hard headed and only know one way. And There's I'm an interesting saying- trend, by the way, with the people you just named. 
they're, they're all uh, primary ball handlers. They're all primary ball handlers that are undersized guards that are combo guards that play like point guards, but can't shoot. And you know who yeah. else fits that mold that also does not adapt his game at all. Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, somebody else I've been very critical of and the Westbrook fans and the Thunder fans will tell you, you know, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, public enemy number one there too, where I've been accused <laughs> of being a West, a Westbrook hater. And I'm not, it's like, he's phenomenal. He's great. Like they're only, there's like 10 guys in the league. I would actually pay to watch. And Westbrook is on that list by easily. Like he's, 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 he's just, he's explosive. He's, he's entertaining as hell. He's passionate. He plays his ass off. He's fun. But if he were the star of a team that I was rooting for, he would drive me crazy um, because he takes a lot of bad shots and he's inefficient. And I believe efficiency matters. So, you know, like the, you know, that's where like the, you know, the, the logical part of me would, would overwhelm the emotional part. Um, but yeah, like all those players I named earlier, like there were guys who only knew one way to play. And by the way, I, I mentioned Carmelo in the story too. Carmelo has, has, has that problem too. And, and he's, he's not in the, the, the undersized shooting guard category. Carmelo, you know, for, a long, for the longest time, didn't want to, to do it any other way than he was used to. And it nearly knocked him out of the league. And to his credit, he came back and found his, his, his niche in Portland. But for, you know, and again, I like Carmelo a lot. And I covered him with the next four years. So this is not a dislike of Carmelo, but I, I think a flaw of him as a player for a while, there was that he was pretty hard headed and I don't mm, blame him for that. Good. It's hard to blame any of these guys for this. Like they've been the focus of all the teams they have ever been on since the time they were kids. And, and it's what's made them succeed. It's why should I stop doing it this way? This is how I got here. Like that's a really powerful belief and, and it's justifiable even, but for most players, I think there comes a day when you have to decide if you haven't gotten to your goal even if you don't think it's your fault, maybe it's not your fault, but there's still a moment where you have to kind of reflect for a moment and say, is there another way? Maybe uh, this is what's gotten me here, but maybe there's an even better way. <laughs> and so the, the, the thing that's going to happen with, with Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, we don't know. It's unpredictable. Um, but I, I do think that Harden is the guy who should have his ball, the ball in his hands the most. Um, the good news being that any of those guys can create if, if need be. They all can play off the ball if need be. We know two of them. Well, we know Durant will play on or off the ball really effectively. I think Kyrie had to learn to playing alongside LeBron. The, there, I think there still is the question of, well, how much will Harden play off the ball and, 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 and in, in a, as, as energetic of a way as he plays when he's with the ball? Um, we'll see. I, 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 I hope it does work for them because it'll be much more entertaining to watch. And hopefully by the time the playoffs roll around, if we can actually go to games again, that's right up the road for me. And I'll get to watch a bunch of great basketball. So I ultimately uh, uh, think I ultimately believe in today's NBA talent wins. Uh, I don't think, I mean, I don't think we see a team win without Supreme talent. Uh, LeBron James counts for more than just one amazing player. And it's really the, the, the Spurs. I mean, the Raptors, even though they had really good talent too, they had a hell of a lot of talent. I mean, and you know, Kevin Durant went down the heat I mean, last year. Important. were kind of close. I mean, as a cohesive, singular unit without top five top 10 talent really yeah no i think i think miami actually was a really great example of the the rare team that won as a greater than the sum of their parts type team um a little bit analogous to like the 04 pistons that won the championship and beat the lakers right um Voted. where <laughs> and like the mythology of that pistons team because that was the last uh year i covered the lakers the mythology of that pistons team of course is that oh you know it was just you know a bunch of 
gutty scrapping guys. It's like, no, no, no. They just hadn't been recognized for their talent yet. They all became all-stars after that. Like, you know, Chauncey and Ben Wallace. And by the way, like Rashid Wallace was one of the greatest uh, power forwards I've seen. It's just that Rashid was such a reluctant scorer that he went like he went to Detroit and played this like role that was so beneath his talent level, like because he was just willing to, because he had no ego, no desire to have stat. He was like the the inverse. Like imagine the most like stat obsessed player you can think of, the most selfish player you can think of. Like Rashid was the inverse of that. All the talent in the world could have averaged, you know, 25 and 15 if he wanted to, with a couple of blocks and a couple of steals. Didn't care. Didn't care about stats. Didn't come out anything except winning. Like that guy was the epitome of, of team ball. And here he was as a role player on, on, on the Pistons. So anyway, that team was a lot more talented than given credit for, but that heat team was, was a, a, an example of a group where as talented as Jimmy Butler is, he's not in the MVP conversation most years, or I'm not sure if he's, I'm not sure how many votes he's ever gotten in the course of his entire career, but he's really good. And Autobio is really good. And they had a bunch of guys who just played really well together. And by the way, that team moves the ball beautifully. I love the Miami Heat's ball movement. So, well, we'll, we'll see. I'm still, I'm skeptical of what effects the bubble may or may not have had and, and whether the heat were a product Fair. of that. Some people think that I, I don't know how to, I don't know how hard, to objectively make a determination. Hard yeah. Hard yeah, to know. Hard to know. Let, let's the only, the only way. On, what's let's up? wrap up on this. Noah. that was an amazing conversation harden i mean it, it was tremendous i think we got everything out didn't we roosh about harden you got mean, everything you, out of our system i have one last thing good? to say i just have one last thing to say I, I, we don't we don't even have to answer it i just want to leave you with this thought if you if you want to address it address it okay. um it's when you consider rockets fans and where they're coming from even me even some of the arguments that you've heard from me tonight that you you feel like you've probably heard a million times on twitter just consider that the perspective we're coming from, aside from the fact that no one other than LeBron has won, uh, and I know that you're not all about winning, and I, I get it, I get it. But at the end of the day, Rockets fans sit there and they think, well, as we, as we look back and reflect on this trade and like the eight years that Harden spent in Houston, we wonder, what should they have done differently? Is it substantive on the court? Is it structuring the roster? And so... When we, when we judge Harden, if we, my opinion is, if we get to the point, at least Harden in Houston, if we get to the determination that, well, I don't really know what they could have done differently other than get a star or other than someone doesn't get hurt, then I don't, I, at that point, it's hard for me to say that something worked or didn't work as far as one specific player goes. And that leads me to my next thing, which is, do you think it's fair? Because you're talking about Paul Pierce and how he was judged differently after winning. You're talking about, the Pistons and how they were all given their flowers kind of after the fact. Do you think, like, what do you think? Not even do you think it's fair. Just what do you think of this way that we have chosen to assess basketball players? Like, I know I'm not rings culture, but rings culture has permeated so deeply that it's impossible to avoid. And it sucks because I think there's so much talent and so many badass basketball players that have come through this league and you'll get some 18 year old kid or maybe some 30 year old person or 25, whatever. And they say, well, you didn't got no rings. So who cares? And it's like, I hate that way of looking at basketball. I love the game. There's so many different things about the game that I love, but like as someone who writes about it, that kind of has some authority on what people think or what the discussion is. What do you think? Yeah. 
No, it's a great question, Roosh. And, and, um, and it is, and it's an important one because it, it goes to how we all discuss the game. And we is, 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 is everybody that's media. That's, you know, reporters like me or people who are paid just to be pundits, you know, and I you know like I dabble in punditry, but I'm mostly just a, a journalist who, you know, I, I report and I write, but you know, you've got the talking heads, you've got people like me, you've got the fans, you've got, you know, various tiers of people on social media who discuss the game in various ways and analyze it and break it down. And, um, and, Look, I'll just a couple of quick reference points. So, D'Antoni's Phoenix Suns, right? Um, success or failure? I absolute think they were success, absolute success. And yeah, that that era that era was derided in real time, and even and even since then, for somehow being a failure. And I thought, listen, for most of the teams in the league, because most of the teams in the league at any given time are 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 not very good and not very entertaining, and some of the ones that are good still aren't that entertaining. The Suns were a blast. And over a four-year period, if I'm remembering my math right, it was like a four-year period, averaged 58 wins and made two conference finals. And there's there's one of the other great ifs. If not for Joe Johnson's broken face one year, if not Absolutely. for the suspens- suspensions of Amari and Boris Diaw, right? So would they can play that game too? And they will. They made the Western they- Conference finals with Amari gone with a torn ACL. Yeah. So, you know, who knows... And, and and again, you talk about uh, running up against the the immovable object for your Rockets. It was the Super Team Warriors. For the Suns, it was Tim Duncan's Spurs. And so, you know, everybody's got their cross to bear um, in this league when you play in, in certain Levels. eras. You know, so I consider those Suns like if you're a Suns fan, it's still somewhat of a disappointment because you could see the outline of a team that could have made the finals. Like I think, and I'm one who believes that if not for the suspensions or Joe Johnson's broken face the other year, maybe they would have, I don't, I can't say it for sure. Um, but I don't consider them a failure. That's rings culture. Rings culture is looking at that and calling it a failure and saying that there was, that there's like judging it as, as lesser. Um, or looking at it in a, in a profoundly negative way and saying that it, that if you don't have the ring, then everything else is invalid. Well, that's bullshit. Like you can't negate everything else that a team or a player has accomplished based solely on whether or not they won a championship. I do think there are various levels to that though, because you can, you can keep backing up. Well, what about just making the finals? What about making a conference finals? What about making the semifinals? What if you're Tracy McGrady and you lost in the first round seven straight times and never got out of it? So right. And Roosh is smiling and nodding because we know that, that okay, we've all had that discussion before. And so at what where where is the bar? Where's the bar where we say, I wonder if it was that player. Is it fair to now blame that player? Is it fair to blame Tracy McGrady? Is it fair, fair to blame Doc Rivers for his three to one leads that he's blown? Right, right? Like it's you know, is it fair to blame the Suns? Oh, it's Mike D'Antoni's fault because even though he was revolutionizing the game, uh, it was too soon. You couldn't do it back then. There was still, you know, it was still a big man's league. Oh, they got to trade for Shaq. They blew it by trading for Shaq. Like we could we could play that game and start saying, was it the coach's fault? Was it the organization's fault? Was it the, the star's fault? When in fact, a lot of these teams or eras um, or players should just be appreciated for how great and entertaining they were in that moment. It doesn't mean that we can't also have the discussion of, you know what? I I think they could have gotten a little further if only for X, Y, Z. And I think that that's the hardened discussion. Okay. They were really great. And yeah, they came up against a super team and yeah, Chris Paul got hurt. What if they had just done this a little differently? Or what if hard had been a little less balled on? Like, those are fair questions. And it's not a judgment. It's not dismissing everything and now calling him a failure. It's just saying, yeah, but what if, what if they had just tweaked this a little bit? Were those rockets a failure? No, no. Okay. I can live um, with that. I can no. live with that. And, and by the way, 
and I cannot put myself in, in the Rockets fans shoes and wouldn't try to, but I would hope that on balance, and actually there's a question before we go. It's a question I actually was wanting to ask you ever since we set this up. Um, I would hope that, because Suns fans were bitter at the end of that era, if I recall correctly. Um, I would hope Suns fans ultimately, years later, maybe after the the, the emotions have, have worn off a little bit, would look at that era and appreciate it and, and, and really love what they had and how entertaining it was and what a thrill ride it was, even if they didn't ultimately win a championship and even if they thought they could have, if only for X, Y, Z. And I would think with Rockets fans, the Harden era should be somewhat similar. Like Daryl Morey made this amazing trade for a guy that at that time was a sixth man of the year, but nobody foresaw him becoming a, a perennial MVP candidate and an MVP and a three times, like nobody foresaw that, including Daryl. And he grows into that in Houston and he gives you this incredible eight year run and including a couple of years where you thought you had a shot at the title. And even that belief alone, even the ride that that provides you as a fan is worth something, even if you don't get there, even if it stings at the time. And so, and you take that eight year run and you put it up against, you know, any other team's eight year run in that same time, or a lot of teams haven't had a run like that in the last 30, 40 years, you know, ask Knicks fans in my backyard. Um, So so you ultimately hope that people appreciate what it was as opposed to being still frustrated or sad over what wasn't. Although, and this leads me to my question for you guys, like how are Rockets fans feeling about the departure? Because it was ugly and it was messy. I'm not sure it was actually necessary. Um, And whatever was messed up about the Rockets and granted there is blame to go around in 50 directions, including to ownership. I, I am curious, like do Rockets fans, how do they feel about Harden's, exit because i don't think he necessarily had to force his way out he certainly didn't have to force his way out as messily as he did so zach do you want to take that zach's not zach's a minnesota guy by the way but zach <laughs> I, I guess i'll, I'll i've been so <laughs> right look i don't know what winning is howard I don't so know howard that. i tweet yeah. Hey, it sucks too. Cause the, the wolves have some of my, at least their, their retro uniforms are yeah, so awesome to me. That, that's for another rainy day. I just wish, but so to answer your question, uh, if you, if you see any of my tweets, I, when the antics were going down, okay. And he was visibly breaking protocol, skipping training camp, all that stuff. I was not happy at all. Right. I was very angry. I was just like, look, man, you want out. Okay, great. Don't do it like this. Okay. Like there, surely it does not have to go down like this. You don't have to be in the strip club. Right. Like, come on, COVID. Come on. Um, as it got That's to the scary. point, you know, you rode the roller coaster, right? He comes out, drops 44 and 17 in that first game, and damn it, they almost won it, but they didn't. And you're thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe we can string some games together. He'll stay. The season plays out. And then for me, I realize I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him whatsoever. Some Rockets out. fans, yeah, I mean, I don't. You know, he's look, him and I, I'm, I'm like three months older than him. Uh, my body's breaking down. So I imagine, not that James Harden's is, but I imagine he's thinking, man, my time's limited. I'm about to be 32 years old. And if I don't do it now, and I mean, Kevin's on Brooklyn, they got the pieces like, shit, this could be it, you know? And so I don't blame him. And then when you watch them play, you see how much easier the game KD makes it for, make, you see how much easier KD makes the game for him. And you're already, I mean, overnight, you're seeing narratives shift. So how can you blame him? I'm ultimately mad at the larger, broader discussion, right? Which is rings culture and, and how we just ride these guys for nothing. Because like you said, like some franchises have, like the Jazz. Have the Jazz won a title? No. But the Jazz compete. They have a reason to turn the games on every freaking year. They have an awesome culture. They have 
you know, cornerstone players, like that's pretty badass. A lot of teams don't have that. Um, and so, no, I'm not mad. As I reflect on the eight years, I'm just happy we had it. And, and I'm now, I am invested in his success in Brooklyn as a result of the time I spent doing things like this, right? Talking about his game and defending him. I want to see him succeed because I, I, I do believe the things that I'm saying about his game. And I think people are going to flip the narratives if they win one. Even if they make the finals, you might see, unless they make the finals and he goes like two of 13 every game. But um, based solely on Twitter, Rockets fans seem split. I'd say 60-40. 60% seem level-headed and, you know, saluting him. And then there's like 35-40% that are just angry still. But I suspect that with time, it'll wear off. You know? Like, it's fresh. I just hate how people say he doesn't want to win. Like, that that just drives me nuts. Like... He always he always talks about wanting to win, and I, I feel like everything he does leads to winning for the most part. Um, and even his going away tweet, he goes, "I fell short, and for that, I'm forever indebted." You know, um, it's far from a goodbye as I pay all my debts. I don't know. I, I take it for what it's worth. I mean, all all a guy has is his word, and I mean, he stood pretty true to it. I mean, even though you might have thought you didn't like what he did beforehand, but he still showed up professionally for. Two, maybe four games, gave him three a games. Shot. He, he gave it his a all for shot. three games and then he, he took his foot he, off the gas. It just sucks, Howard, how these players have to do this. Like, in order to get what James Harden wanted, in order to get what Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, or any of these stars that wanted to get out of town, they have to do these things. What he, he didn't have to do is not show up for training camp. I mean, I just think there's a bigger problem here, and that's. You got to just, if these players are going to be havoc and ruin your culture and they just got to be fined. You got to sit them at home. You got to find them. And until you get a trade in mind and a trade you're happy with, I think that's the only solution. I don't know if there's anything other than that, to be honest. Yeah. Cause otherwise you just get like the social media play or not the social media, but the, 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 the trade request playbook, right? The rumors, the cryptic social media posts. What does that the, mean? The denials. Right. The denials, the quotes pulled, the the hyper analyzation of any public appearance anywhere, you know, whatever. So, I mean, I'm not mad, but yeah. Like, what do you think, Howard? Like, no, I was just curious how Rockets fans proceeded because I like I hadn't I, you know, I'm not I'm not bouncing around Rockets message boards and whatever. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I, I was I was <laughs> I was uh, I was you know, just genuinely curious because I would imagine it was a mixed bag. I imagine that's a really like it's if, you know the guy led one of the best eras uh, in, in the franchise's history and that franchise has had some great players, you know, you know, obviously Akeem and, and Drexler and Yao and Tracy and like um, Harden gave them as, as great of an eight year run as, as they could have, could have had, you know, short of a championship. And I was just, to me, genuinely curious about like at the end if fans were um, bitter about him forcing his way out what they got in return, like all, all, all of that. Cause I, I think, you know, Harden made that bet a little bit, right? Like as we've talked about, he made the trade for Chris Paul and the trade for, for Russell Westbrook to the extent that they, that they finally ran out of steam and ran out of options to keep building around him. He's responsible for part of that. Um, he's responsible for his own, for his own style of play, for his, his conditioning for, and he's responsible for, for kind of muddying the waters at the beginning there. I mean, I I think this season could have been a lot better. Like, I don't know what a James Harden, John wall, uh, Christian Wood 
you know, PJ Tucker grew like where, where could that have gone this year? If he oh, was all we, in and, and invested to see it, we, we like, I, and I don't, and again, components of it here. that's, that's not to blame him for wanting something more than that, because look, that was part of, part of the point of my interview with him in September, 2019 was you're 30 now. And you know, the window's getting smaller. And what do you think? Um, uh, you, you ask those things for a reason, because I don't blame any of these guys for wanting to be where they feel they've got the best chance of winning a championship, especially if they don't have one yet. And so, um, but I also draw a distinction between LeBron leaving as a free agent in 2010 or leaving as a free agent again in 2014 or leaving as a free agent again (laughs) in 2018, whenever Um, like I, there's a, there's a difference between doing that or Kevin Durant leaving as a free agent versus forcing a trade. And then there's even a difference between Anthony Davis forcing a trade with a year left, although he started agitating er earlier than that versus forcing a trade with two to three years left in Harden's case. Like all of these, I think need to be looked at uh, differently. Anthony Davis, total, like just a a bleep show in in, in New Orleans for a lot of his time there too. And like, you couldn't blame him for wanting out. the, The Rockets were pretty good as we've just discussed. So like to have a, a run that that was that strong and then still say, I want to, you know, I, yeah, I signed a long-term contract, but trade me in the middle of it. I think it's just, it's different. I perceive that a little bit differently. I, I do perceive that a little bit more negatively than I would if he hey, was down to his worst last of all, year. Port Paul George with four or five years left in OKC. Come Oof. on. Oof. <laughs> I will, Oof. I will, I will, I will put an asterisk on that one because, um, I, I, the, the the thunder no the thunder were ready to blow it up like the thunder were ready to like the thunder saw an opportunity like they didn't have to they didn't have to honor it they didn't have to do it they they were like oh you want out oh cool we're gonna leverage the living shit out of this and get a boatload <laughs> of stuff out of the clippers and then yeah, we're gonna did. and then we're gonna steal a bunch of picks from the rockets to boost <laughs> set ourselves up for years to come though the thunder were, were were fine with that so like i think again that one there's a little bit of nuance and context too that that's a little different so well, Howard, we appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I'm really glad we got to have this discussion. Hopefully I represented Houston and Rockets Nation well. But, you know, I don't disagree with anything. He made his bed. Uh, the Rockets were in the position they were in partially because of him. Like I said, Harden, the GM, was not it. Um, and the way, the way he broke up was very messy. But ultimately, I can't blame him. And, and I hope he wins. So, Zach, final thoughts? Fun time. Thanks for coming on again, Howard. Anytime. And anything uh, you'd like to plug again sooner than later. Uh, no, the like guys, to- this was a blast. No, this is a blast. Thanks for having me. Roosh, by the way, thanks for inviting me anyway, because um, a lot of times people want to like get at me on, on Twitter, whether they're screaming at you were not screaming, you were respectful. Some people, whether they're civil, incivil, somewhere in between, whatever. And then it's like, I don't want to have that discussion on Twitter because like it, it goes nowhere. It's useless. It's a waste of energy. But I'm always willing to have the discussion, especially if it's something where it's a critique of my work. Like I'm more than happy to like have those conversations in like a, a, a meaningful, respectful, constructive and fun way like this was a great conversation so like i appreciate that so thank you guys for having me on this is great um i have nothing to plug just find my stuff on si.com and uh, listen to the crossover podcast with me and mannix and uh thanks again guys it's been a blast no if houston doesn't understand where you're coming from now they're they're blind they're oblivious appreciate it well thank you so much sports illustrated too it's been fun glad you have a new platform man take care appreciate it thanks fellas take care talk to you soon thank you all right Yeah.